Hello, and welcome to the Sapona Road Church Podcast. Today is a great day. It's the day that the Lord has made, and we are excited that you've taken time to join with us as we hear from God's Word. We exist as a church to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that today's message encourages and blesses you and helps you to grow and mature in your walk and relationship with Him. The Word of the Lord is powerful and life-changing, so let's see our lives transformed as we listen to today's message. So today, we're celebrating that Jesus is alive and uh, no better place to be. Um, and another reason I'm sitting up here, I really like these shoes. They're very comfortable, but I cannot keep them to get them to stay tied for anything. They come untied the whole time on me, so uh, I'll be tripping on laces up here. So I figured I'd just, just do this. But, but I want to talk to you today about God revealing himself to us. And uh, so I'll, I'll go ahead and read John chapter 20, and I'm going to read the whole thing to you. It says, uh, this is the resurrection. Early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Peter and the other disciple started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there, while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For until then they still hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. Then they went home. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she did not recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. She turned to him and cried out, Rabbi, which is Hebrew for teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus said, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them the, his message. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. 
The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. So, Father, we just thank You for this day. We just declare, uh, we just say, Hail King Jesus, that He is alive, He is risen, and because He lives, we live, God. And we're just so happy to be here in Your presence, and we just ask Your blessing upon this message. In Jesus' name, amen. So, God revealing Himself to us. Now, uh, we celebrate every day as Resurrection Day if you're a Christian because Jesus is alive. We don't have to worry. We don't have to question. We don't have to second guess uh, any of that. And so what I want to do today, uh, I want to point out a few ways that God reveals himself. Um, maybe you're like me and you've read some chapters or books of the Bible. And when you finished, you were kind of trying to figure out what exactly was it trying to get to? What was the reason behind that book? Like maybe you, you hear someone else talk about it, and it makes perfect sense, and then you read it for yourself, and you're like, now what is this book trying to tell me? Well, the good thing about the book of John is he actually tells you what it's about. Uh, in the last verse there of uh, chapter 20, it says that these are written so that you may, and this version says continue to believe, but many versions just say that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. It's one of the reasons that a lot of times when someone has just recently accepted Christ, they encourage you to read the book of John. It's usually the first book that they tell you to read out of the Bible because this is the book that it tells you it was written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So that makes me believe that there has to be a lot of things in the book of John where God is revealing himself. Jesus is being uh, revealed. And so that's what I want to do. I want to show you a few things in the book of John. It's going to maybe be a little bit different, but, but hopefully to get you just to, to think about some different stuff on this, uh, this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday. And you can see it even in the scripture that we uh, just read with, with Mary. It says Peter and John... Uh, they get to the tomb, they look in, they just see the empty grave clothes, and it says that they believe, because up until that time, they didn't understand everything. And uh, then after that, Mary looks in, and she sees two angels. They didn't see the angels, they saw the, the grave clothes. She sees two angels, and there's one at the foot and one at the head, which is already a symbol of the mercy seat being revealed right there in the tomb of Jesus. And uh, she's seeing it, but she doesn't see it. And that's how we are a lot of times with it, because we, we all want to hear God's voice better. Man, I wish God would reveal things to me. I wish God would show things to me. A lot of times He is, but we're just not seeing it or we're not hearing it. Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. He, if you has eyes, let him see. We have to see it, and we have to hear it because He is speaking to us. And so now she's got two angels that she's talking with, but she still doesn't get it. She's still questioning. Her faith hasn't begun to rise yet. And so she's telling them, she don't, I, don't know where, I don't know where they've put him, and, and uh, they've taken my Lord and my, my Savior. And, and then she talks to Jesus, but she doesn't even know it's Jesus. So I wonder how many times in our lives have we been waiting on God to do something, waiting to hear from God, and Jesus has been there the whole time, and we just didn't recognize him. 
the hand of God was actually on our life in a situation or a circumstance, and, and we're still you know, asking God, questioning God, begging God, and it's right there, but we just don't see it. Because many times we get, we're just like Mary. we got a one-track mind. we got something going on so strong in our emotions that even though it's there, we don't see it. He reveals himself, but we just don't see what, what's, what's happening. And so, see, some people, they think that the Bible is just a good book. And they think that it's, well, some people think it's a great book, that it has a lot of good things in it, a lot of things that can, can teach you important stuff, but they'll, they'll say that there's still, it's, some, it's not perfect, that it, there's some mistakes in it, there's flaws in it, but it's not true. The Bible is 100% truth. Now, your interpretation of it probably is not. My understanding of it is not 100% truth. But the Bible itself is 100% truth because it's more than just a good book. It is the Word of God, and it is a revelation of Jesus Christ, every bit of it. And so I'm just going to point out a few things to you today about God revealing Himself and, and, and show you that the Bible is more than just a good book of unbelievable coincidences. It couldn't happen. It's God's Word. There's no way that any man or any group of men could get together over that span of time especially and put together this type of book apart from God. And even with all that, then Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy and promise. There's no way. It's not possible unless you are the Messiah. It's not possible unless it is the Word of God. And so the first thing that we need to know when it comes to Jesus and what He did for us at Calvary is that He came because of the mercy of God. It was all about God's mercy. He came to lay down His life. Jesus, he came and surrendered it. In John 10, verse 17, Jesus said, The Father loves me because I sacrificed my life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again, for that this is what my Father has commanded. So Jesus lays down his life as an act of mercy, not wrath. It was all an act of mercy. And it's funny, the people that claim that they know the Lord, but all they want to do is talk about His wrath. Now, there, there is some, some things that we know is the wrath of God, but He poured His wrath out on Christ on the cross, and all, but all they, can do, they just, all they can do is talk about that. You, we need to call sin, sin. We need to point things out that are, that are obviously wrong. We need to stand for what's right. But at the same time, why will people never focus on the mercy of God? And if you talk about the mercy of God, they'll tell you that you're just a fluff preacher, that you don't, you know, you're not telling people the truth. But it is the truth. Psalms 30 verse 5 says that the anger of God is before a moment, but that His mercy is last a lifetime. Psalms 134 says that his, the mercy of God endures forever. Oh, why would we not talk about those things and it be someone that their whole, everything when it comes to the Lord is just to talk about how He wants to hurt somebody. He wants to pour out punishment uh, on people. God is a God of mercy and of God uh, of honor. and of God. He's a good father. He's going to do things the right way that they need to be done. Uh, I've thought before, and maybe you have too, but have you ever wondered why didn't God just destroy the devil? Have you ever had that thought? Man, he's ruined so many people's lives. He's still causing so many problems. Why didn't he just, you know, I get maybe giving him the second chance when he messed up in heaven, but after he deceived Adam and Eve, why not just kill him? Why not just take him out right then? It's because of his, God's mercy. He's a God of mercy, honor, and a God of His Word. He will not go back on His Word, not even to the enemy. It's just how it is. 
So we talk a lot about standing on the Word of God, about proclaiming the Word of God, because there's power in the Word. God's not going to go back on His Word. And there are, I'll talk about this more later probably, but just like we have physical laws, like we have the law of gravity, and the law of electricity, uh, you know, they're, they're very good things, but it's just certain laws you got to follow. Gravity is why we're all alive right now and not floating around getting hurt, but if we go jump off a high building, gravity's going to take you out of here. And so there's a lot of things that people blame on the wrath of God when really it's just someone has gotten, they've crossed a spiritual law. They've played around with something or done something, you know, that, that same thing, just like the same thing with electricity and, and gravity. So you got to think, God gave Adam authority and dominion. When he created him, he gave him dominion over this whole earth. It was all under his dominion. And Adam surrendered it all over to the enemy. When he, when he and Eve took of the fruit, they surrendered that power and authority. So God would not go back on his word. He gave it to Adam. Adam gave it to the enemy. But what he did do is he made a way of salvation to restore us. And that all comes from his mercy. See, God didn't, Jesus didn't come because God hates sin. He came because God loves us. He didn't come just so that we wouldn't go to hell. He came so that we could be redeemed, restored to the Father. There's a difference. And so God wouldn't go back on his word. Our, our uh, redemption was conceived, built, and carried out and brought into operation from a heart and a mind of mercy. A mind of wrath would have never done that. Uh, a mind of wrath, when it, when it comes to that, it wouldn't have brought redemption. It would have brought revenge because that's what it's going to do. God did not and has not destroyed Satan because of mercy. Not mercy for Satan, mercy for us. See, God's not only a God of mercy, but He's a God of order. And if He had destroyed Satan, then one of those laws that you have that come into play, if He's going to, when, when Adam and Eve sinned, then we became children of the enemy. We became ch children of sin because of them sinning. And so if Satan were to be destroyed, without there being a way of redemption, then by spiritual law and order, God would have to destroy all of Satan's subjects, which we all became by what Adam and Eve did. Death would have flowed from the devil to all that served him. And so God was never going to do that because he's a God of mercy. It was all an act of the mercy of God. And so Jesus came and he gave his life on the cross and he rose on the third day in power so that we could be restored to the Father. And so here's some of those things I want you to look at today with me. Uh, and the first one is in John chapter 2. And it's in verses uh, 18 and 19. Did I give him that one? It says, But the Jewish leaders demanded, What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. So here, my point to all this is to try and get you to realize that some things just aren't coincidence like you might have thought. And so these Jewish leaders, they're upset. They ask Jesus to give them a sign, and Jesus tells them, tear this temple down, and in three days I'll raise it up. And uh, that doesn't go over well because they think Jesus is talking about the temple that was built there. They're not realizing that he's talking about uh, himself. And so they get upset and they say things like, it took 46 years to build this temple. And you're trying to tell us you can do it in three, or three days, not three years, but you can do it in three days. And so we all know that because of what Jesus did for us, 
uh, at the cross that our bodies are now the temple of God. He's no longer dwelling in buildings. He's dwelling in, in bodies. But what you might not know is that just like these guys said that it took 46 years to build the temple in your body right now, every single person in here, which is the temple of God, every one of your cells in your body has 46 chromosomes. You might think that's a coincidence, but I don't. It took 46 years to build the temple, and right now every cell in my body has 46 chromosomes. So we know that God cares about the little details. You don't have to look at creation very long to see that. He has a way of revealing himself in the smallest, strangest things. In John 19, verse 14, it says this. It says, It was about noon on the day of preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, Look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So we know that Jesus is our perfect Passover lamb. He's no sin, spotless, without blemish. And when you look at this story, all of this was happening at noontime. It's what the Bible tells us. So that would mean, if it was a day of preparation, that would mean that Jesus was being crucified at the exact same moment that the Jewish priests would be slaughtering the Passover lambs in the temple. At the same time that they would be doing the normal sacrifice, the Lamb of God is being sacrificed for all the world and for all of time. There would have been so many lambs probably being slaughtered that day since it was for Passover that they would have extended the time. It, it could have gone from noon to twilight, the exact hours that Jesus was on the cross being the perfect sacrifice. Could it be that while this was going on, when the crowd settled down and there wasn't as much noise, could they hear the lambs in the background? while the Savior of the world, the Lamb of God, was on the cross. So when you go back and read it and you think about it, you begin to see how God reveals things constantly if we have the eyes to see it and the ears to hear it. In John 19, verse 19, it says, And Pilate posted a sign on the cross that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so that many people could read it. Then the leading priests objected and said to Pilate, Change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate replied, No, what I have written, I have written. And we've all heard this. We've even seen it in the movies where the, the sign over uh, Jesus' head. And now think about it. It was written in uh, Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. But the priests would have spoken Hebrew. And so here in the Hebrew language to say this, to say Jesus uh, the Nazarene king of the Jews, it would take four words. Okay, those four words, I can only pronounce the first one. The first one is Yeshua. I don't know how to pronounce the other three. So, but if you take the first letter from each of those words, you get the letters Y-H-W-H. -H. And the letters Y-H-W-H -H in the Hebrew language is the way of writing Yahweh. And so I don't know, but I like to use my imagination. I'm not sure how it was written over his head. Maybe someone in here does know if it was on top of each other, the four words, if it had been written across. I don't know. But I know that the, leading, the, the priests were smart enough to realize what those first four letters were saying. Here it is. Maybe that's why they got so upset. Maybe that's why they wanted one more word added in there to change it up. 
Because as they're looking at the one that they've condemned and they've sent to die, they're seeing it right written, literally written right over his head, Yahweh, God the Savior. I imagine that had quite an effect on them as they begin to, to notice that. See, God has a way of revealing himself even through horrible acts, even through things that we don't understand, even through horrible plans of the enemy. And there are so many connections and ways that God reveals himself that there's no other explanation than God. It has to be God. In John chapter 2, we read about this, uh, we talked about this last week, where Jesus did the first recorded miracle. And uh, he did this at the wedding feast, turning the water into wine. And so this wedding day, more than likely, would have been on a Tuesday. So in the, in the Bible times, most of their weddings, like we have our weddings mostly on Saturdays, they had them on Tuesdays. And so what this would do, um, this would give them time to get there to the wedding after the Sabbath and time to get home after the wedding before the next Sabbath. And so the weddings were almost always on Tuesdays because that was the best way they could do it for travel and everything, everything else. And so Tuesday is the third day of the week. And so what that means when you think about it is that on the third day, the groom gets his bride. And so Jesus was buried, crucified and buried, and three days later, he rose to get his bride, which is us. It's another coincidence if that's how you want to look at it, but I think God knows what he's doing. And so in Genesis, it's a beautiful way he reveals himself. In Genesis chapter 2, we read about how God gave Adam his bride, Eve. And uh, you know, he said that it wasn't good for man to be alone. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 21, it says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed the opening. Then the Lord God made woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. So Adam needs a bride. God opens Adam's side and gives him a bride. The bride comes from the side of Adam. His, his bride was birthed from his side. When Jesus was on the cross, they opened his side with a spear. And when they opened that side, blood and water flowed out, and the bride was born. There was no bride of Christ until the cross. And so when the blood and the water flowed, just like the blood and water flows when a woman gives birth to a baby, the bride was born. The bride of Christ was born. So think about that. God knew how the bride of Christ was going to come about. He knew how we would be birthed as the bride. He knew this when he opened Adam's side to make Eve. I don't think it's a coincidence. I think he chose to do it this way so that he could reveal himself to us, so that he could confirm more and more over and over that we would believe, just like John 30, 20, 31 says, that we would believe that he is the Messiah. When everything else is trying to tell us that we're crazy for believing it, that he would continue to confirm and reveal himself to us. In John 19, verse 30, it says this, it says, when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and released his spirit. It's probably one of the most famous scriptures that, we, well, everybody's probably saying it today on Easter Sunday. But Jesus saying that, that it is finished. And the word translated there, that it is finished, it's a Hebrew word, kalah. Okay? And that word is actually a homonym which means it can mean more than one thing. The word sounds the same, but it can mean 
uh, something different. And so uh, it can mean fulfilled or completed, which is where we get the translation, it is finished. And I'm not trying to take away from that translation at all. I'm adding to that for us today. I believe that's what he meant when he said it. I believe he was declaring that it is, it is finished. But what you might not know is the other meaning for the word kalah is bride. And so since it can mean bride... We have a couple things to take from that. One is that Jesus finished the work of salvation that day for his bride. The other is while at the same time he was crying out, it was finished, declaring that the work had been done and Satan had been defeated, he was also calling for his bride. See, when you think about it from that, it kind of takes that whole thing when they say, if it would have just been for you, he still would have went to the cross. He was calling for you while he was there. We are the bride of Christ. He did finish the work that day, and he called out. At the same time, you can call it a coincidence, but I think it's God revealing himself in, in more and more powerful ways. That might not mean much to some people, but it's, it's something very special to me when I think about it at this, every year at this time of year. God is constantly revealing himself, even though we don't always see it. And see, that's why we need to be pursuing him with the expectation of him, of, of him revealing himself to us and the confidence of knowing that as he reveals himself to us, he also invites us to a deeper relationship with him. See, God's so good even when we're like Mary and he has to just yell our name at us to get our attention. He'll do that if that's what it takes. But it's so much more joyful when you just have eyes to see and ears to hear as he reveals himself in the little things day after day over and over. And so since I told you the Bible is a revelation of Jesus from cover to cover, I cannot remember where I found this, but I'm going to read this to you. In Genesis, he is the seed of the woman. In Exodus, he is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he is our high priest. In Numbers, he is the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet likened to Moses. In Joshua, he is the captain of our salvation. In Judges, he is our judge and lawgiver. In Ruth, he is our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is our trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is our reigning king. In Ezra, he is our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the rebuilder of the broken down walls of human life. In Esther, he is our Mordecai. In Job, he is our ever-living redeemer, for I know my redeemer lives. In Psalms, he is our shepherd. In Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, he is our wisdom. In Song of Solomon, he is our lover and our bridegroom. In Isaiah, he is the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he is the righteous branch. In Lamentations, he is our, our weeping prophet. In Ezekiel, he is the wonderful four-faced man. In Daniel, he is the fourth man in life's fiery furnaces. In Hosea, he is the faithful husband forever married to the backslider. In Joel, he is the baptizer with the Holy Ghost and fire. In Amos, he is our burden bearer. In Obadiah, he is the mighty to save. In Jonah, he is our great foreign missionary. In Micah, he is the messenger proclaiming the gospel of peace. In Nahum, he is the avenger of God's elect. In Habakkuk, he is God's evangelist. In Zephaniah, he is our savior. In Haggai, he is the restorer of God's lost heritage. In Zechariah, he is the fountain opened in the house of David for sin and uncleanness. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings. In Matthew, he is the Messiah. In Mark, he is the wonder worker. In Luke, he is the son of man. In John, he is the son of God. In Acts, he is the Holy Spirit. In Romans, he is the justifier. In First and Second Corinthians, he's the gifts of the Spirit. In Galatians, he is the redeemer from the curse of the law. In Ephesians, he is the Christ of unsearchable riches. 
In Philippians, he is the God who supplies all our needs. In Colossians, he is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In First and Second Thessalonians, he is our soon-coming king. In First and Second Timothy, he is our mediator between God and man. In Titus, he is our faithful pastor. In Philemon, he is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Hebrews, he is the blood of the everlasting covenant. In James, he is our great physician. In First and Second Peter, he is our chief shepherd who soon shall appear with a crown of unfading glory. In First, Second, and Third John, he is love. In Jude, he is the Lord coming with ten thousand of his saints. In Revelation, he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And, and he is alive today. And he continues to reveal himself to us over and over and over again if we will have eyes to see it and we'll have a heart to go after him. Uh, I want it now, if you'll uh, get ready, we're going to do the communion part of the service. And I wanted to, I wanted to do it this way because... I want to show you in the act of communion, God revealing himself to us as well. Uh, when, we, uh, when it comes to communion, a lot of times we're, I'm going to read it too. We're going to read in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. But uh, we just think about receiving the bread, receiving the juice. And what happened actually, we got to think about the Passover supper and the things that took place. And so they were celebrating Passover when Jesus did this, when he, when he stood up and took the cup of wine and began to tell these things to the disciples. And so what would happen at Passover is there were four cups that were going to be uh, consumed at this, at this meal. Two cups would be done before the meal with blessings recited after it and things like that. And then there would be two cups after the meal. And so since it says Jesus took the cup after the meal, more than likely most people believe he, was, he had the third cup in his hand. Okay, and so those cups actually go back to Exodus chapter 6. And so in Exodus chapter 6, we read in verse 6 what these cups symbolize as they would tell the story at every Passover. And so I want to read that to you real quick. In Exodus 6, verse 6, it says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will, I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So the four cups. So we see how special this event was that Jesus was doing because even now, Sometimes people just don't understand the importance of communion and how powerful it is that we're remembering Christ in it. So these four cups represent the four I wills, okay? And so the first cup is the cup of sanctification. It says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The second cup is the cup of judgment or deliverance. It says, I will deliver you from the slavery. The third cup, which was the cup that Jesus picked up, which I believe Jesus picked up when he began to tell the disciples of the new covenant. This is the cup of redemption where it says, I will redeem you with outstretched arms, with an outstretched arm. And then the fourth cup is the cup of praise and restoration. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. So now picture this meal. He's there with all the disciples and they're doing, they're celebrating Passover. And so uh, at Passover, they, they would tell the story of the Exodus and they would tell the story of God 
how he delivered them from Egypt. And, and you would have it, they would sit where the father would be at the head, and then they would sit the youngest down, closer, the youngest was closest to the father, which may be why John was the one right beside Jesus, who was in the role of the father in this, uh, in this meal that they were having. And they would ask questions about how it all happened, how God delivered them from, from Egypt. And then you would have the cups that you would have at certain parts of the meal. And now Jesus stands and he, and he picks up this third cup, the cup of redemption, the cup that means I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, which all the disciples know what that cup means. And he's telling them this is the cup of the new covenant and his blood. And he tells them that he's not going to drink of that cup until the kingdom of God has come. But what he did do is he went to the cross and he became the cup. And he poured out his blood for each and every one of us so that we could be redeemed as he was stretched out on the cross as an act of mercy and love for us. And then he tells us to do this in remembrance of him, that we are to remember what he did. But the great thing is, is we don't have to just remember the part of the cross. We get to remember the resurrection. We get to celebrate the part of praise and restoration that we, He will be our God and we will be His people, that now we're restored and that we have relationship with the Father through all this. And so we're going to receive a communion oh. this morning. Does everybody have one? Did anybody get missed? Okay. Okay, so I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11, starting verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So you can take the bread. says, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. You can take the juice. And verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. All right, I'm going to ask you to stand with me now. You can, uh, you can just put them back in those little slots on there. We'll get them at your service. So as we're celebrating Resurrection Sunday today, before I dismiss, I do want to ask, is there anyone here that you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? It's very easy. People make it so complicated. But the Bible just says to confess it with your mouth and that, if, that He is Lord and then believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. You wouldn't be here if you didn't believe God raised Him from the dead. I wouldn't believe on Resurrection Sunday. So is there anyone at all? Okay. 
Well, good. We all have a reason to be excited and celebrate today then. Is there anyone you want special prayer for anything today before I pray over us as a group? Okay. Heather, would you lay hands on Sister Barbara? Okay. Anyone else? Okay. Lord, we just thank you for your body and for your blood. God, we just thank you that Jesus is alive. We thank you that he is risen. Lord, we're so grateful to be your sons and daughters. We're so thankful that as an act of mercy, you sent Jesus and that he laid down his life so that we could be restored to you. Lord, we just thank you for how you love us. God, I pray for every person here today, Lord, that they would have, that they would have an understanding of your love for them like never before. And God, again, we thank you for your body that was broken, Jesus, so that we would be healed. And so we declare healing over Sister Barbara right now. Lord, we just speak nothing but good reports from the doctor here on out. Lord, we don't accept any bad report that's gone forth so far, but we just declare healing. And God, we give you all the honor and the praise. We curse every disease in this place. Lord, we're not supposed to be under the curse. You have made a way for us to be redeemed from every part of that curse. And so we just want every person in here to be blessed physically, spiritually, financially, God, emotionally. Lord, we just thank you for that it's, that it's ours through Christ. And God, I just pray for every person here that they would be blessed, that they have a wonderful day with family today, God, celebrating our risen Savior, God. That everyone in here as children of God, Lord, we could just celebrate all that you've done for us. And God, let us never for a moment forget all that you've done. God, help our eyes and our ears to be open like never before. To see yourself as you reveal yourself over and over and over again. And God, we just bless the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. We are so happy that you joined us today. If you are interested in learning about or giving to this ministry, you can find more information at saponaroadchurch.com. If you are local to the Fayetteville, North Carolina area, our meeting times are 1045 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7 o'clock p.m. Wednesdays for our connect groups. From all of us here at Sapona Road Church, we hope that you have a great day as you walk in the Lord's favor and blessing.